0: Welcome to the South Canadian Valley Church of Christ podcast. Please enjoy the following study. I played uh, baseball from the time I was uh, four years old until I graduated from high school. Uh, So growing up, it was a really big part of my life. I remember, I don't remember my very first games, but I've seen pictures of it. Uh, Our our team's color was purple. We were called Storm, uh, and that was, of course, T-Ball, and so... Uh, We were very little and and didn't really know what we were doing. I I hear stories about I uh, lined up to bat, and I was facing the catcher, and I was about to hit the ball right into the catcher, and they had to run out and tell me to stop, and and I insisted. I was just saying hi to the catcher. I wasn't going to hit the ball into him. But from then on, I, I loved baseball, and I played it for a long time. And I remember pretty vividly the very last game that I ever played. It was my senior year of high school, and we had made the playoffs, and we were playing in the first round of the playoffs. And unfortunately, our season went pretty well, well enough to make the playoffs, but we were a pretty low seed in the tournament. And so we were playing a really good team. And it was a, it was a weekend that we were going to play them. It was going to be a best two out of three series. The first night came, and we were crushed. They beat us so bad, it was embarrassing. The second night uh, came up, and, and we were playing at their home field because they were uh, the higher seed. So we were playing at their home field this second night, and I remember before the game started, I had this overwhelming sense of defeat that set in. And I remember thinking, there is no way we're going to win this game. And some of the seniors who knew this was very likely going to be their last game, we huddled together before the the game started just to kind of talk to each other about what we were thinking and how we were feeling about it all. And I remember... In that moment having what now looking back on it thinking that was probably just a little bit of a, a mini panic attack thinking this is the end of a very big part of my life this is the last game i'll ever play probably and i don't want it to end right now and i started thinking that i haven't worked hard enough this season what if i had worked harder maybe maybe we'd have been more successful we would have won more games maybe we could be winning right now maybe we would have a different outlook and i remember pleading with Looking back on this, it kind of sounds ridiculous, but I remember pleading with the other players saying, please win this game because I want a chance to work hard again. I want a chance to get back to practice and and work harder and become a better player so that we can do better and this doesn't have to be the end. But through all of that, all I could think was this just feels like defeat. I imagine there are a lot of people who feel that way in this world and in our country, thinking about this virus and all the things that are going on. We, we look at the news reports. We look at our Facebook posts, and all we see is stuff about the coronavirus. We see about it spreading every day. If you check the news, you see the, the number of cases throughout the world is increasing. You see all these, there's talk about the curves, the exponential growth. All these people are dying, and the thought that many of us go to is that this looks like defeat. I worry about myself, you know, what if I get infected? I worry about my family, what if my family gets infected? How is this going to affect the church? How is this going to affect our nation? What if what if what is happening in Italy happens in the United States? So what if it does? Is, is that, does that mean that we don't have any hope? Does that mean that we are defeated? You know, there was a time whenever the disciples felt this way. You know, we don't don't talk very much about Saturday. Um, We talk a lot about the Friday on which Jesus died. And we talk a lot about the Sunday morning on which he arose. What about Saturday? How do you think the disciples felt on the day after Jesus died? We, We really don't know much about it. The Bible doesn't say much about what was going on in that day. But I imagine that was a day that felt like defeat. That day was the day after Jesus had died in the hope of the disciples and their dreams had been crushed. You see, what the, what the Jews and what the disciples had been expecting in the Messiah was somebody who would come and reign on, and rule on the throne of Israel, who would come into Jerusalem to defeat Rome, to kick them out and to usher in this time of a physical kingdom, that would restore what they had in David. They wanted a Messiah who would come and physically conquer the world and give them the place where they belonged. They would kick out these people who have been oppressing them and would give them victory. And that's what the disciples wanted, and that's what the people who saw Jesus were expecting. That's what the people who were looking forward to the Messiah were expecting. We see evidence of this in places like John six fourteen through 15. Jesus had just fed 5,000 people miraculously. And John says here, when the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who has coming to the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. They saw what Jesus did and they thought, this is him. Let's go make him king. Of course, they didn't understand what they were doing. They didn't understand what they were saying. They thought that this was the Messiah who they could take to Jerusalem to take down Caesar. Later in John 12, verses 12 through 13. When Jesus enters Jerusalem for the last time, it says, The next day the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying crying out, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. They were ready for the king. They were welcoming him into Jerusalem already as the king of Israel. And then in the garden when Jesus was arrested, we see even Peter thought that they were ready for war. And Simon Peter, having a sword, drew out and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. Whenever the soldier or whenever the, the guards came to arrest Jesus, Peter thought, all right, let's do this. This is time. This is, this is the time for us to rise up, for us to start the battle, to fight on the side of the Messiah. They had high expectations for Jesus. But then they were crushed. Because while they, ex- they expected a king to come and reign and to defeat Rome, On the Friday, he died. And what happened after that was a feeling of defeat. We read about what happens with the disciples whenever all these things are going on. When they're in the garden and he's arrested, they all run. Then when Jesus is taken to his trial, Peter follows, but he denies him three times. Whenever Jesus is sentenced to death and he has to carry his cross... And he's already been tortured so terribly that he can't even carry it. None of his followers, none of his friends are there to help him carry it. So they have to find some random stranger who's, who's just in town for the time being to carry his cross because none of his followers are willing to do it. None of them are even there. And at the moment of his death, the only one of his followers who's there is John. He's there, but he's the only one. Where's everybody else? Then when he's dead, none of them have the courage. To ask for his body, so a Jew from a member of the Sanhedrin comes to ask for his body to bury him because his disciples are too afraid. They've gone and they've run and they've hid. We know on that Sunday it was these women who had been following Jesus who went to find the body. It wasn't the disciples; they didn't go to see the grave. They were afraid. They were defeated. We see a really great picture, an illustration of how they are feeling in uh, Luke. This is on Sunday after Jesus has been raised. They're on this road to Emmaus. They haven't seen the risen Jesus yet. But it says, while they were talking and discussing together, these are the disciples, Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? So, Jesus appears to the disciples after he's been resurrected, but they don't recognize him. And he says, What is it that you're talking about? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered to him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed in deed and word before God. And all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. You hear what they're saying? There was this man named Jesus who was amazing. He did incredible things. He did all these miracles. His teachings were incredible. And we just knew that he was the Christ. But it turned out he was just some prophet. whose life came to an unfortunate end. A life cut short. One that had such potential. And was ended. In this moment, the disciples were defeated. They felt this despair deep within themselves, that there was nothing they could do about it, that their mission was over. They failed. Their leader failed. It was over. They faced defeat. And this is the kind of feeling that so many people throughout the world are feeling right now. Defeat. Like, ultimately, there's nothing we can do. We think we we try to go through all these measures, maybe if our government implements the right policies, maybe if we keep the right amount of distance away. But even among these things, you can look over Facebook, you can look over your newsfeed. The overwhelming feeling throughout this world is we are looking defeat right in the eyes. Not necessarily that everybody's going to die, but people are worried about how how many people might die when this is all said and done. They're facing defeat. That's the temptation, is to think that all of this means that we are defeated. the disciples felt that way. But then something happened. Something changed them. If you were to take the same group of disciples who on this Saturday were so sad and dejected, and you were to take that group and look at them a couple months later, you would see something incredible you'd see a completely changed group. It wouldn't even look like the same people. These people who said that they had high hopes for somebody who then died were then preaching that this same person, this same Jesus of Nazareth, was the one through whom you could have salvation. They were preaching that this same Jesus of Nazareth was the Messiah, is the Messiah, and is the King of Israel. It's like a before and after picture. Before, we see them so sad, and after, it's like, what in the world happened to them? Something happened that made a huge difference to them. And that thing that happened was they saw the risen Lord. They saw Jesus Christ risen from the dead. They had previously thought that they had been defeated. They thought that Jesus had been defeated. Because in their mind, they thought, Rome is the enemy. We need Rome to be defeated by our leader. And what Jesus did on the cross was a victory. They didn't see it at first. You see, the real enemy was not Rome itself. The real enemy was sin and death. Rome was just a manifestation of the evil that sin and death is. Rome was just one way of looking at it. Rome was was just one thing that came as a result of sin and death. So in the end, Rome is defeated too. But the enemy was so much bigger. And Jesus was not defeated. There was a battle on the cross that Jesus won. And that battle was the battle against sin and death. This dramatic change in seeing Jesus is illustrated by what happens to Thomas. You remember doubting Thomas in John chapter 20. It says, Now Thomas, one of the twelve called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. What a transformation. Five minutes ago, he was saying, I don't believe one bit that Jesus is risen from the dead, and there's no way you're going to convince me of it unless I touch his wounds myself. And then a minute later, he says, my Lord, my God. This transformation meant everything to the apostles. And this resurrection of Jesus Christ becomes the central point of their preaching. Not long after this, the disciples start preaching throughout the area that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. We read about it in Acts chapter 2 when Peter is preaching on the day of Pentecost in his sermon. He says, Men of Israel, hear these words Jesus of Nazareth. Look what he's telling them. Saying, this Jesus who you killed, by the way, this was not you defeating Jesus. This was not you defeating God's plan. This was God's plan from eternity past. It says, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. He was not defeated. He rose victorious over the grave because death could not hold him. The disciples were not defeated. They were victorious through Jesus' resurrection. The writer of Hebrews, as, we, as you go through the New Testament, you start to see how important the resurrection of Jesus Christ is and what it does for us what it did for the disciples, and what it does for all those who, were tr- who trust in him. The writer of the book of Hebrews says in chapter 2 and verse 14, Since therefore the children, that's us, human beings, since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, meaning we all have these physical bodies, since human beings have physical bodies, he, Christ, himself likewise partook of the same things, meaning he took on a physical body himself, that through death, he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil. What is the writer saying here? He's saying that Jesus' death accomplished the destruction of the one who had the power of death. He destroyed the devil so that death has no hold on us anymore. That Jesus' death on the cross was not a defeat, but it was a victory over death. He became man and he died on a cross so that death could be undone. The disciples had a message to preach, they had a victory to proclaim. That victory was a victory over death. Death throughout the history of humanity has had a power over us and that it has terrified people. It has always terrified people. People all over the world for all time have been terrified of death. You can go to all sorts of different cultures throughout the world. They're all trying to escape death. We try to come up with new medical advances that extend our lifespan. If you lose an organ, maybe they can, uh, they can sew a new one into you. Or maybe they can come up with artificial hearts that will help you, help you live a little longer if you had a heart trouble. But ultimately, through all of these medical advances, through all the things that people try to do, death is still imminent. And people spend so much money trying to avoid it. But they just can't. You can't avoid it. Woody Allen said, it's not just—it's not that I'm afraid to die. I just don't want to be there when it happens. I think that might, you know, kind of in a funny way, characterize the way we look at it. It's that moment when you die. Think about that and how terrifying that would be. And so people have always tried to avoid it. There's a story that comes from uh, the Middle East. It goes like this. There was a merchant in Baghdad who sent his servant to the market to buy provisions. And in a little while, the servant came back, white and trembling, and said, Master, just now when I was in the marketplace, I was jostled by a woman in the crowd, and when I turned, I saw it was death that jostled me. She looked at me and made a threatening gesture. Now lend me your horse, and I will ride away from this city and avoid my fate. I will go to Samara, and there death will not find me. So the the merchant lent him his horse, and the servant mounted it, and he dug his spurs into its flanks, and as fast as the horse could gallop, he went. Then the merchant went down to the marketplace, and he saw death standing in the crowd. And he came to death and said, Why did you make this threatening gesture toward my servant when you saw him this morning? Death said, That was not a threatening gesture. It was only a start of surprise. I was astonished to see him in Baghdad, for I have an appointment with him tonight in Samarra. People have always tried to avoid death. But it's always been inevitable. Death, ever since the beginning of mankind, has occurred to, to all of us. It happened because of the result of sin. In Genesis 2, we know Adam and Adam was put in the garden. He was given this command, and the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You shall not eat it, for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Adam, don't eat of this forbidden fruit. It will bring death. And in James 1-15, and 15, we read, Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Death is a result of sin. And we can see a couple of different uh, meanings of death in these passages. There's a physical death and there's a spiritual death. And both of these deaths involve some sort of like a separation. Because of the sin of Adam and Eve in the garden, all people face this physical death, which is in some sense it's a separation from life. I mean, it's, it's basically the antithesis of life, right? We experience life right now, when we die, we don't get to experience that anymore. We're separated from it. And in the spiritual death, what it's talking about is the separation from God. And that spiritual death is specifically, I think what James is talking about here, but, but both of these things are a result of sin. that sin ultimately causes this separation. And it's that separation that we fear. We don't want to be separated from life. We don't want to be separated from what we know, living on this earth, talking to our friends and our family. We don't want to be separated from that. And we don't want to be separated from God. We don't want to experience spiritual death. And so we try to run from it. If we go back to that passage in Hebrews that we were just reading a minute ago and then add on another verse, Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 and 15, Since it says, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, remember we were reading just this just a minute ago, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Jesus died so that fear that has always plagued mankind can be defeated. So that you don't have to be afraid of death anymore. Jesus died to remove your bonds of slavery to the fear of death. Death has lost its power. Now, why, while we still experience death, you're, you're still your body is going to, at some point it's going to decay, your heart is going to stop beating, and, and eventually your body is just going to disintegrate or or uh, it's going to uh, slowly decompose. The effect, the force, the power of death no longer has anything on you. It doesn't have that power to separate anymore. Death does not separate you from God. It does not separate you from life. Think about this. What happens now if you're in Christ and you die? Life does not end. Jesus said in John 17 in his prayer to the Father when he was in the upper room, he said this is eternal life that you would know the Father and the sun. Do you know God? If you do, eternal life has already started, and death will not stop that. It's like Paul says when he, in Philippians, he talks about, there's, he, he knows that it's very likely that he will die soon. And he's talking about whether he's weighing two options, whether he should keep on the path that he's going down, because he knows if he keeps on acting, he keeps on doing the things that he's doing, he's likely to get killed by somebody. Or maybe he'll back off a little bit in order that he'll stay alive a little longer and help some more people. He knows that his death is pretty imminent. But what does he say? It's amazing. He says, My desire is to depart and be with Christ. When you die, you're not separated from God. Death no longer has that power. Death does not have the power to separate you. It has no power at all. All it is, is an illusion. So what is there to fear? We know, of course, when we're all resurrected, we'll experience life to the fullest. We'll experience life as it was meant to be experienced. The kind of life that Adam and Eve should have experienced in the garden. That's the kind of life that we will have in the resurrection. You think this is life right now, and you think death is going to stop your life? Just wait. Just wait for the life that is waiting for you. Don't be afraid of death. Because of the victory that Jesus won on the cross, because of the victory accomplished by His resurrection, death itself is defeated. Now, to be clear, I want—I just want to be clear about something. While we should not fear death, that does not mean that we should be flippant about our lives. Mark talked about this uh, last week. We should not be flippant about the way that we live. We still need to be careful. You know, there—there are, there are diff- this, this whole with the coronavirus. People are being uh, being polarized in different groups. Some people see this differently. We should definitely remember to love our neighbors, and we should remember to be good stewards of this earthly life that we've been given, and we should make sure that we are obeying the authorities. So the fact that we're not to fear death anymore doesn't give us license to just go do whatever we want, because it doesn't matter in the end, because death is defeated. We still have responsibilities in this life. And so it's good that we try to maintain the social distancing and and wash our hands and that sort of thing. It's good that we do those things. But don't do them because you're afraid. Do them to be a good steward and to love your neighbor and to obey the authorities. But not because you're afraid of what would happen if you died. Not because you're afraid of, of the consequences of death. Those are gone. Jesus defeated death. So don't let your actions be motivated by fear. We have hope, and that changes everything. The apostles were terrified. They were defeated. And when they saw the risen Lord, they had hope, and that changed everything. And we can share in that same hope. In Peter's first letter that he wrote, he wrote to a group of Christians who was were undergoing uh, a lot of persecution. But he wrote something at the beginning of his letter that is incredible, considering the fact that they were suffering. He said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to His great mercy. Listen to this. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope. How? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Your life can be marked by a living hope. And you can rejoice because of the hope that you have in the death and resurrection of our Lord. What a difference that makes. What a difference you can make to the people around you. You see on social media all the ways that people are talking about this. It seems like, seems like most of what's going on is that people are, are like making jokes and, and, and memes out of it all. But behind all of this is this fear and this feeling of defeat. We like to make jokes to make light of the situation, but underneath that people are afraid. What kind of difference would you make if you lived by hope. If you weren't afraid, but instead you rejoiced because of the risen Savior, because of His defeat over death. Maybe when all this is over, somebody will ask you about the hope that is in you. How is it that you were able to rejoice during that time? We were all afraid. How wonderful would it be if your hope made a difference in somebody's life, I want to close with a uh, <clears throat> with the ending of of uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is the longest uh, explanation of the resurrection or defense of the resurrection in the Bible. So if you're interested in the resurrection, go to 1 Corinthians 15, read what it has to say. Paul is writing to the people in Corinth about the resurrection. He says this When the perishable puts on the imperishable, he's talking about whenever we receive our resurrection bodies. He says, And the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written Death is swallowed up in victory. O oh, death, where is your victory? O oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We're given victory. And so while this time may feel like defeat, while you may not see how things can work out, Jesus Christ, through the resurrection, gives us victory. Therefore, my beloved brothers, Be steadfast. Listen. This is for you. Be steadfast. Immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Knowing that in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. If death were the end, your labor would be in vain. But it's not. We have victory through Jesus Christ, through the risen Lord. Live by that. If anybody has a needs of the church, let's you to come forward while we stand and sing. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. For further information about our church, please go to normanchurch.com, normanchurch.com normanchurch.com dot com.